Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. Good morning. What a beautiful sunny day. It's going to be a little cool today, but it's going to warm up the next couple days. And that's going to create some good fishing topics to talk about because nobody knows what to do. I've got um, Austin Parr in studio with me this morning. Good morning, Austin. How are you, Terry? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. And, you know, it's going to be, uh, we're going to talk, but we're going to talk some open water fishing, some ice fishing, I think some fly, some fly fishing. Colorado Parks is going to join us with a couple really neat segments. We'll talk to them. Colorado Clays is going to talk about some of the other things you can do out there we haven't talked about and the fact that their famous casting clays tournament it will probably be have to be tapped out full in just a couple months so we'll talk they'll talk to us about that and what's going on so we just got a lot to cover today um you've got a special guest we've got guides calling in from different places but you know austin it's it's been a a really unusual season. Man, it really has, hasn't it? It's, you know, this warm temperature, and it's kind of reminiscent of last year, but all of a sudden, you know, we're we're seeing not very much ice on the front range. Yeah, last year we started out cold, though, and we yep. got some ice, and once you get some ice, in fact, I think the last couple of days it's actually been making ice again. I agree. It, and all, but you have to be so careful on the front range. And I've got my ice fishing gear in my truck. You never know when you're going to have to make an emergency ice fishing <laughs> yes. stop. Um, I'm almost ready to put the long rods back in the truck. Man, we're seeing a lot of open water, and especially down south at Chatfield and Cherry Creek, there's massive open water stretches out there and very fishable from the shore. I had a Facebook uh, uh, message just a couple days ago about guys catching walleyes offshore at Cherry Creek already. Absolutely. I've had the same for Chatfield and been already seeing some pretty nice fish come. And we're going to talk more about that as we get into things, folks. We'll cover some open water fishing, some fly fishing, and we'll we'll talk a little ice fishing because there's still a lot of good ice up in the mountains. And even on the plains as well. Oh, you're right. Out on the eastern plains. Yep. And we'll be talking and we're going to talk to some people from all the those areas. But one of the things we've been doing here, Austin, over the last couple of weeks since the ISE, is you know that Karen and I run the tank there and we host the tank. And we kind of set a theme this year of back to basics. We did a big thing for kids. We did a big thing for getting women started in fly fishing. And then we asked all of you guys as presenters to kind of come up with a theme. And, you know, Chad did one called Take It to the Bank from the Bank. Ronnie did one, you know, one rod, ten lures, or one rod and reel, ten lures. Yep. Kind of thing that you don't need, uh, you know, which was kind of disappointing because Karen read that and thinks I don't need 100 fishing <laughs> rods now. So he's got to be careful with that. But it was kind of to get people, you know, I think sometimes we talk to each other as much as we talk to the people in the audience. And, and we share tips and things that... Well, you've got to get a basic understanding and get someplace first. Your topic was back to basics for soft plastics, I believe, for walleyes, bass, and trout. Absolutely. And I'd like to kind of maybe revisit that in this segment here because I think you and I are both fond of soft plastics. We fish them a lot, although they're useless. They don't catch any fish, right? They're terrible. And they never <laughs> catch all those different species. Man, they, they can be super versatile, though, can't they? Oh, they it is incredible. You know, we were talking before we went on the air, and... Soft plastics aren't always going to be the best tool, but there's hardly ever a time when you can't fish them. I completely agree. And, you know, going back to that general topic of back to basics, I think it's just so vital for anglers in this state to really think about that because, you know, you talk about all of these crazy techniques and see them on TV and hear them on the radio and watch them on YouTube. 
And without some of the basic presentations and some of the basic techniques, it's difficult to wind up going out and making those other presentations work for you. It really is. Kind of take us to the premise. What were you trying to get across to people on your seminar? So basically, in, in my opinion, soft plastics really are one of the most versatile baits out there in, in a variety of choices. But tube jigs, curly tail grubs, and straight tail minnows are a variety of different baits that can catch basically all of your species in this state no matter what season you're in. So whether you're going to be on the ice right now and dropping down some smaller gulp minnows or you're going to wind up going out in the summertime and trying to swim a curly tail grub in the middle of a shad school, all of the above can really catch fish. And even for those river anglers out there, throwing a tube jig or a straight tail minnow in, in some of those deeper pools can really wind up catching some nice fish. Oh, I'll tell you what. And, you, of course, you have to be careful in some of the river areas. If you got if they're flies and lures only, you have to make sure you have unscented plastics. Absolutely. Or a marabou jig maybe yep. at that time. But Absolutely. But um, I wrote an article for Fishing Facts magazine like a million years ago that was all about using jigs instead of flies to catch yes. trout in Colorado. Absolutely. And I'm sure I angered a lot of my fly fishing friends, but to tell you the truth, I can consistently catch more big trout on a jig than I can on my fly rod. I completely agree, and especially in some of the larger bodies of water like the Colorado River or the Roaring Fork, you're going to have some very big, deep holes that are difficult to wind up accessing with a fly rod. And even when you get down there, you might have so much bow in your line that it's difficult to wind up actually setting the hook so and that and we both love to fly fish. absolutely That's i not, do it all the time i do too let's let's kind of take a take a little bit from your seminar why don't you kind of break down maybe some of the did you break it down by species or I just did. why don't you take let's just since we started on trout how do you approach trout with soft plastics so trout are, are something you know i started off with that type of species because they're more of what's called a pelagic fish so they tend to swim around and all, although they will generally relate to some structure points they tend to move around a lot more than walleyes and bass do where they're going to be more associated to structure so when you're talking about trout particularly in the the high country i like to first start off with you know figuring out what forage base these fish are going to want um, you know, they're, they're going to be focusing on. So particularly when you're in North Park and South Park, crawfish are going to be one of the, the, the most, you know, well-sought types of, of forage for those those fish. So being able to imitate those accurately is certainly going to wind up, you know, being, being very crucial. So tube jigs, in my opinion, are one of the absolute best baits to wind up using. Now, with that being said, you still have to figure out the, the, the areas that you're going to need to wind up fishing out there. So getting along a weed line or even, you know, around some structure points like a point or even a, a bottom composition change all will, you know, focus those fish on those areas and you can really catch a lot of fish, you know, utilizing some of those tubes. Well, in a tube, you can get tubes from one inch up to four or five inches. Um, probably the most common sizes for trout are a couple inches up to about three. Yep. Although you can go bigger for lake trout. You can go bigger for any of them. Absolutely. But I use a lot of two and a half and three inch, but a tube can really imitate a fish swimming up in the water column, or if you crawl it or hop it along the bottom, a a, um, a crayfish, like you said. They're just really versatile in how you can rig them. Before we go on anymore, I didn't really finish introducing you either. <laughs> um, Austin is from Discount Tackle, and you're when when if you, people like what they hear today, want to come down and talk to you. When are you usually there? So Monday through Thursdays in the afternoons, as well as typically all day on Saturdays, except for when I'm on the radio with you. All right, <laughs> and then and then you guide also. I do. So we guide on on multiple front range locations and are going to be working on some permits for some stuff out northeast. So as we're talking to to a couple of guests later about some ice conditions out there, definitely think about that for later in the year. All right, and we'll give you all the contact information for Austin as we go now. Tubes are a great way to start for trout. They really are. Um, but the others work well, too. The they do. curly tails and the minnow baits can be, especially like, well, all 
all big trout eat fish. They really do. And, you know, you, you really get away from some of the insect feeding when you get to some of those big fish. And we really find that a lot when you go and put a different type of presentation like a big streamer or like we're talking about with a, a, a bigger straight tail minnow. And once again, we mentioned, depending upon the, the, the body of water you're in, definitely make sure that you're, you know, you, you, you're really thinking about the scented baits out there. So, right. you know, make sure you're selecting the right one. But particularly if you're in a fishery that, that the fish are, are really focusing on sculpin, you know, a twitch tail minnow or gulp minnow uh, really, really can wind up working well for you. And once again, they're a very versatile bait. You can work them higher in the water column for more aggressive fish that are suspended or cruising, or you can get them near the bottom for fish that are a little bit more associated with some of the structure points. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, do you typically rig... Um, the tubes uh, and the minnow baits for trout on a lead head jig. Is that how you fish them? A lot of times the lead head jig is, is my preference. So when we're talking about tube jigs, I like to get a flat jig head, which will spread out the nose of that tube a little bit. And especially when you're swimming it higher in the water column and you're giving it some aggressive pops, it will actually work side to side, almost like in a, a walk the dog type fashion. And then as it falls, it also will spiral down. So that really is a good enticing motion on that bait. But then as you were talking about your... Your, your straight tail minnows uh, on basic lead head jigs, sometimes I'll incorporate some color depending upon the fishery and if, if the water color is a little bit stained. But then also you can, as we'll talk about with some of the, the walleyes and the bass, but you can incorporate uh, spinner blade jigs or even uh, darter jigs, even stand-up jigs to wind up you know, in- incorporating various other presentations uh, when you're talking about that minnow. Now we're going to have to move on so we can talk about the other two species. But real quick, I think one of the biggest reasons people don't fish soft baits more is... Um, they feel like they can throw a crankbait out and reel it in. Well, yep. we both know that probably you should do more than that. Certainly. But a soft bait, they have to be able to visualize it, give it some action, and it takes time to build confidence. It really does. And, you know, the, the big thing, you know, kind of going to the side a little bit there as well that I talked about with my presentation is when you're focusing on some of these baits, I like to adjust and, and use a new presentation when you're really dealing with a, a very hot bite. If you're going out there and trying to, you know, tie on this brand new bait and figure it out when the fish aren't biting, that really is not very good to wind up, you know, figuring out your confidence. So getting out there when the fish are really biting and utilizing these techniques is something that I really suggest. I couldn't agree more. I mean, the worst time in the world to try something you haven't fished before is when, when it's a tough bite because you yeah. won't fish it very long, you won't fish it right, and you won't build confidence. Let's move on. So let's go to walleyes. What yes. are your favorite soft baits for walleyes? So a gulp minnow or a straight tail minnow, like a twitch tail minnow, are going to be my two of my absolute favorites. And those can be worked in a variety of ways like we talked about on various jig heads. Um, but swim baits also are one of my favorites. Ripple shads in particular uh, with a small spinner blade jig on the bottom can be uh, swam higher in the water column or you can let them get all the way towards the bottom and, and hop them or, or simply drag them along the bottom. And when you're talking about these walleyes, they always like to get on structure when you're in the midsummer time period and then they'll suspend later in the year as the bait comes out. And that swim bait can incorporate uh, all of those different presentations and you can catch fish in a variety of ways. But then curly tail grubs like we were talking about before the show uh, really can, can be good and for both of us, we tend to not fish them as much, but I'm going to really try and get back to that this year and maybe put them on the back of some bucktail jigs even and incorporate you know, a good swimming motion, whether it's jigged, swam, or drug along the bottom. I like that new Maxent 4-inch minnow, too. I Absolutely. think that's going to be a winner this year. You know, um, before we move on to bass, which there's just an unlimited amount of soft oh, yeah. plastics you can use, um, I remember when I was out on Pueblo with, a, I'm not going to use his name, but he was an extremely accomplished walleye fisherman. Yep. And this is back in the 90s. And we were vertically jigging right over a pod of walleyes that were right on the end of a point. 
and he was fishing a jig and a night crawler. I was fishing a jig with a curly tail, but I'd put just a piece of night crawler Certainly. on it. And I got, I, we were catching a fish. I said, you know, we don't need this night crawler. I said, they're going to take the jig. He goes, oh, he goes, boy, you know, we get that tournament mentality. You just don't want to give anything a chance, yeah. you know? And I said, no. And I just kept right on catching fish. I mean, the, yeah, so many times, if once you get confidence, ice fishing is a great example of this. Yep. 10 years ago, I don't think I would have gone ice fishing without live bait. I probably most of the time don't have live bait with me anymore. I, I feel the same way even in the open water. I fish so many artificials, whether it be soft plastics or or some of your, your blade baits and jigging wraps, that especially when I'm not guiding and just fishing myself, I rarely fish bait even in the peak of summertime. Oh, I do too, and it's so handy because I can have the stuff in my boat. I don't have to worry about stopping. I don't have to worry about minnows being transported, yep. leeches in water. It's, and it's just it just makes it easier. I can jump in the boat and go, yeah. and they're effective. The last species you talked about is bass. Tell me a few of your favorites for bass. One of my favorites, um, you know, especially late last year, is that new Maxent uh, Senko stick worm. And on a wacky rig, even on a drop shot, as you're working in some deeper water, uh, that rigged up with a, a small O-ring really was effective last year in some of the, the darker uh, green pumpkin and crawfish type colors. But then also more of your creature baits, I find, along with tube jigs, work really well when you have fish focused in on crawfish. You can put those up higher on a drop shot or on a Texas rigger even you could put them on a jig head if you really wanted to and get them right near the bottom and working along the edges of those structure points particularly when we're talking about smallmouth on the front range along the edges of the dam faces and where those rocks meet that muddy bottom on that transition point it really focuses a lot of fish and both those techniques can work well karen and i pulled up on a point we weren't even going fishing we were at horse tooth this last summer yep. i don't know if you saw it on my facebook page or not, but we pulled up and she had a gulp manawan and i had a two and a half inch tube and we were testing some equipment on the boat. And we said, well, let's throw a line out. And she hooked a, a small smallmouth, maybe an 8, 10-inch smallmouth, yeah. you know. So, well, there's some fish here. But we were on the inside of the point, and we figured they'd probably be on the main lake point. So we pulled around the main lake side. We actually used spot lock on the trolling mortar to hold us in the shallow water and cast deep and up and then along the flats on the top of the shallow. Definitely. And I uh, started catching them on a tube. See, we both switched to a tube. And we caught, I don't know how many big smallmouth. When that bite quit, we moved down to the bottom of the point and then worked the tubes back down, and we'd get bit right at the bottom because, you know, when we were casting, we probably weren't getting to that yep. that transition ledge. But the neat thing was the tubes were just crawling. You could actually feel them pin that to the bottom. Isn't that fantastic? And they, they weren't sucking it in. They were pinning it to the bottom like they're trying to kill a crawfish. Yep. And I, those fish probably average 16 to 20 inches. Man, and that tube jig is so fantastic for that because you can catch fish of all different sizes and all different depth ranges, just like you're talking about. And it, you know, when you're talking about back to basics, that truly is one of the most basic presentations that's the most effective out there. Now, we got to get going here pretty quick because we got a park segment coming up, one we both want to talk about because it's out at John Martin Reservoir. But before we go, I can't leave bass without talking about a six to eight inch plastic worm. Definitely. I started in the fishing industry fishing bass tournaments back in the 70s. So I'm older than dirt. <laughs> and one of my fortes was just that plastic worm. I will take a blue fleck Berkeley power worm in from four to eight inches and catch bass anywhere in the world. I completely I, agree. It's just one of the most versatile, useful baits. Now, tubes are great. Jigs, you know, creature baits are great. The, you talked about the Senko. There's a lot of things. But, boy, if I had just one, I'd pick that one. Absolutely. I tell you, we got to wrap up this segment. But um, if people want more information, you, you, you carry all these these baits um, 
down at your store, right? Definitely. And along, even if you're wanting some live bait, I have minnows, shiners, and all of the, the baits for ice fishing currently. Tell them where you're located if they want to come by. We're at 2645 South Santa Fe Drive in Denver, and that's just uh, south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. And that's Discount Tackle. Terry Wicks from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going to go right to the phones because patiently waiting, or maybe not patiently, but we sure want to get to him. We have Dan, Dan Kerner from um, John Martin. Good morning. Good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing great. It's a beautiful sunny day. What are you experiencing down there? Also, Tons of sunshine, but a little bit on the chilly side to start the morning off down here today. Yeah, ours was too, but it's supposed to warm up. You know, and you guys tend to get a little warmer than we do most of the time. In fact, why don't you tell people where you're located and describe the park? All right. Um, so, John Martin Reservoir is located in Bent County, um, about 25 miles from Lamar, 40, 40 to 45 miles from La Junta, along Highway 50. We're a little bit south of the highway. Uh, the park has approximately... 10,500 surface acres of water currently and about 1,600 acres on land um, that joins to wildlife areas, which encompass about 19,000 land acres around the reservoir. Now, give people a perspective. Cherry Creek Reservoir is about 800 acres, so you said 10,000 acres. Correct. I give people what an incredible place to recreate, and that's really good news because for a long time we didn't have enough water in John Martin. Some efforts were made to buy some water to stabilize it, and then we've had some good water years. So you're sitting, uh, what a great place to come and recreate and, and fish, and we're going to talk about all that, especially if you want to just get away from the crowd and have some room to boat by yourself. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's very frequent that we see 50-plus boat trailers in the parking lot, and you look out on the lake, and you see two or three boats. So it's it's very nice to have that much room to spread out and just have a little area to yourself. Now, you're a little bit of a drive from the metro area, so if I come down there, have you got camping available year-round? Absolutely, we sure do. Um, the winter months, we slow it down as far as what's offered for the camping. We do have Approximately 75 electrical sites with water available, not at each individual site, but throughout the campground. Um, in the summer months, that same campground is 109 electrical sites. Uh, we reduce a few of the facilities during the winter months just due to the cost to operate them, um, trying to keep keep things ready to go for the summer months. Uh, we also have a non-electric campground with 104 sites, and we've reduced that slightly in size um, during the winter months as well, but uh, do have availability on both sides um, throughout the year. Now, you've got an event coming up, and I want to talk about the fishing, but before we even get to those two topics, um, it's a great place. You know, if everybody in the family doesn't fish or boat, or if you come down this time of the year when well, you probably have some ice on the lake yet, um, there's other things to do. You've got some great trails, and I believe some good wildlife watching. Absolutely. We have some phenomenal wildlife watching opportunity. Uh, we have a number of eagles on the park right now, and they have you know, fantastic opportunity to go out there and watch those birds fish or hunt um, around the park, and our bobcat have been a little bit more um, ready for photos, I guess, here in the last little little bit of time. The last maybe two weeks, we've had a number of visitors sighting bobcat around the park, getting some good pictures, sending them into our Facebook page. Um, just really nice to have that interaction with our public that's coming out here to the park, and uh, we have along our, our hiking trail a, a section of petroglyphs. 
Um, so kind of one of those unique features that isn't talked about a whole lot in, in state parks, but it's fantastic to have that opportunity here at John Martin. Uh, we also sit right along the Santa Fe Trail, so there's plenty of historical background as well. Well, throughout the park. Yeah, and you've got, I want to get to the fishing. I've got Austin Parr in studio with me here, and he's sure. begging to get at it. But before we do that, let's tell people you have an event coming up when we're talking about watching wildlife, and that's the Snow Goose Festival. Tell me about that. All right. Uh, so this will be the 16th annual High Plains Snow Goose Festival uh, from February 8th to 11th in Lamar, Colorado. It'll encompass Prowers, Baca, Bent, and Kiowa counties. Um, there's a photography contest that goes along with that. Um, all this stuff, information that I'm about to give can be found on the highplainsnowgoose.com website. Um, it has registration. Uh, you can pre-register. You find the schedule of events. Uh, look at information about the photo contests and just a number of different things available through that website. And uh, kind of, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say there's a number of events, right? Absolutely. So um, starting on Thursday, there's primarily just a registration and hospitality day. Um, Friday kicks off the tours and then come back on Friday afternoon for another opportunity for registration and hospitality for those that couldn't make it down before the weekend. Uh, Saturday, there's an arts and crafts fair, some seminars, a silent auction, more tours, uh, a banquet on Saturday night with a keynote speaker and speeches provided by Sharon Stidler, um, and then wraps up on Sunday morning with a few other options for tours that lead kind of back up toward the the Denver metro area as the guides are heading back toward their homes in that direction. Now, there's what, give us that website again. People are interested. Absolutely. Highplainssnowgoose.com. Now, if, um, if I were to come down there, what are the chances the snow geese will cooperate? We know how they come in and out. We've sent out numerous memos this year, and those <laughs> birds are actually sticking around. So, um, on the way in this morning, I, I don't know what exactly what the numbers are in the area right now, but we do still have birds in the area. Uh, frequently for this festival, they've decided it's time to go right before the festival gets to us, so we've we've bumped the festival up in dates, so hopefully we'll still catch them here. When, when those birds are there in groups, I mean, the numbers will just astonish people. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think at times this year we've had definitely upwards of 50,000. I'm thinking right now we're probably sitting between... 15 and 20 in the area, um, just a, a cloud of white as they come into the reservoirs and sit down or take off for their evening meal. Well, and we're, we're going to run out of time here in a minute, but I'm going to ask Ray and Mike who are uh, coming up in a bit. Just be patient. We'll get to you because I want to talk about the fishing at John Martin. Austin Parr sitting next to me. He's fished. In fact, he was down with Chad Lachance filming down there last year, I think. You have an incredible fishery down there, Dan. It is definitely up and coming. Uh, as you said early on, all this water coming in and right behind that water coming in, our Colorado Parks and Wildlife biologists were out putting fish in the water, trying to get this thing stocked back up and ready to go. They did a phenomenal job. Uh, we have a lot of great-sized fish at this point. They're starting to get some good good size on them. They're going to be great for fishing and catching this year. Um, we're looking forward to a really productive season. What are some of the species you think are going to be hot this year? We just started seeing toward the end of last year the crappie come back around to being active. They haven't been active on this water in great number for quite some time, so it's a great thing to see them coming back around. Um, also, toward the end of the season last year, we had a number of largemouth and smallmouth bass, which haven't been something that's been typically caught out here um, in my time out at the park anyway. 
Um, historically, they've been around for quite a while. Uh, the white bass and wiper are both going to be, as, I would say, as typical out here. They've they've always been great numbers out in this area, and I, I can't see any reason why we'd have any problems with that continuing. And then those salgai and walleye are going to be hanging out in really good numbers again as well. Oh. Um, last spring was a, a fantastic catch on the salgai down around the boat ramp areas and up in the, the rocky shorelines. What's your experience been, Austin, out there? Man, you know, a couple of years ago, the, the white bass were, were fantastic. You know, a lot of smaller fish mixed in, but that's been two years now. So those fish, I think, are going to be getting up there. But then also, you know, we had some really good saw guys that we were catching as well, along with a few drum that are definitely an overlooked species. Oh, and they're fun to catch. Absolutely. And as far as the bass down there, Dan, I did a television show down there in the late 90s, early 2000s, and we were pitching into the flooded brush like you would see on an eastern reservoir and pulling just big pig largemouth out of there there's some big fish in there and i i don't think that's changed at all we finally are getting that that group to come back in again so it's it's really exciting for us to have that opportunity and those those same fish species being back in the lake and and being active well we got to move on but i think the what message i want to give to people we've talked about the activities and everything there but that's one of the premier fisheries in colorado and with the camping you've got available i forgot to ask you i believe you've got ice on the lake right now right yes we sure do and i i've been around looked we've had a few open spots out in the middle but pretty much froze in all the way around the reservoir at this point in time in the smaller reservoir down below the dam. And when when do you anticipate you'll be able to start getting boats on the lake? It's definitely weather dependent. Um, March 15th is our aim for date. That's when our ANS inspections open here at the, at the park. Um, lane 19 boat ramp will be open as soon as ice is cleared off again. So uh, we just ask that people follow the pre-inspection protocols and make sure they have their inspection prior to coming out and should be ready to get back on as soon as that ice clears away. Well, I'll tell you what, pull a camper down there, stay there, and you could you can have some of the best fishing in the state all, almost all to yourself out there. Or if you're a, a recreational boater, it, the water gets warm there in the summer, and it's a water ski. Just a great, great place. I wish we had more time, Dan, because it's just a tremendous, uh, tremendous resource. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely, and I sure appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. That's uh, Dan from John Martin. Let's go right back to the phones real quick. And somebody is probably hooking his camper up right now to head down there and fish. He, boy, he's not even going to wait for the water to get the ice to get off. Is Ray from Adventure Camper. Good morning, Ray. Hi, Terry. How are you doing this morning? Well, I'll tell you what. We have so many incredible places right in this state that they come and rent or buy a camper from you, and they don't have to drive a 1,000 miles to go find a good place to go, do they? No, and in fact, I think the the Colorado Park System is such a treasure for us all to live here. It's, they've got great campgrounds generally across the state, and and uh, you know everybody here in the Denver metro area kind of has going to the mountains on the brain. But um, you're right, John Martin's a great place to go. Beautiful surrounding area, and and it kind of gives you a chance to see part of the state that you may not be as familiar with. Well, and I'll tell you, in the spring, those crappies and the saw guys. And a lot of those fish are going to be really shallow. So you could pull a camper down there. You don't even need a boat. And you could set up, and you'll be able to walk right over to the lake and catch those fish. That's right. That's right. And this is a great time to buy a unit, isn't it? Yeah, we, we uh, just we, every week we get in uh, more inventory, new units. We got one in last night that's just a beautiful 20-foot couples coach from Solaire. It's got a walk-around queen bed and a uh, nice slide-out, so it's a very roomy, spacious camper and uh, plenty of room for 
a couple and maybe a child or a grandchild, uh, just a beautiful coach from Solaire. And in general, whether you're looking for a small ultralight, you know, 3,000 pounds or less, or, you know, you want a 25-foot, gorgeous, spacious, roomy trailer, we've got it, got it all for you and located down in the southeast metro Denver. How do they find you, Ray? Uh, we are at www.adventurecamper.com or if you want to drive by and see us today we're near the intersection of Arapahoe Road and Jordan Road all right we will talk to you next week my friend thanks I appreciate it Terry have a good one all right we're going to take a time out we come back we're going to talk about antler sheds here so hopefully um our next guest Mike is hanging on we'll get to you in just a couple minutes here Mike Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company's Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. We're going right to the phones. And joining us from, I believe, the Craig area is Mike Swaro. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Terry. How are you? Dude, hey, thanks for hanging on. We're a little later getting to you, but I really want to spend some time on this because I think it's important. And I know you want to talk to us about um, hunting for antler sheds, which is becoming more and more popular. And I think, first of all, you kind of want to put it in perspective of how it can affect the animals and then what the regulations are. So what do people have to be aware of and why, why do we have to be so careful at this time of the year? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, deer and elk are definitely coming in the, the, the most stressful part of the year for them. Um, that reserves and everything are down on animals. So this is kind of, kind of when an animal is make, kind of make or break. So this time period, you know, January through, through April is a, is a tough time period for animals. We want to try to give them as much of a break as possible to uh, to get through the winter uh, and make it into the summer for, for next fall. Well, and a lot of people who hunt antlers, they get out there before they actually shed. They start glassing them and things like that. I mean, if you're going to spend time out where these animals are right now, do it from a considerable distance, right? Yeah, that's correct. And it, it has become more and more popular over the last 10 years, and uh, especially so there was a new regulation that's, that's been implemented here in January through the Wildlife Commission, and uh, that'll go into effect this year just uh, just since the timing and everything that came through. It'll go through March 1st this year, and there'll actually be a restriction through um, through May 1 or the end of April, through April 30th, starting May 1, you can start shed hunting. But there'll be a restriction on public lands on, on collecting any antlers. Um, so that's going to help give the wildlife a little bit of a reprieve. Um, also in the Gunnison Basin, May 15th through May, or May 1st through May 15th, there's an additional um, time restriction on getting out for the Gunnison sage grouse in that country. But uh, all in all, from this, this point out, uh, January 1st to, to April 30th, every subsequent year after this, we're going to have a closure on public lands for the collection of, of antlers. Well, and the reason it didn't, you mentioned, didn't get started earlier this year is because the law was just passed, just going into effect. And I think I would like to um, kind of put the word out to people or at least encourage people to try to be really conscious, even though the, it doesn't go into effect until March 1st this year. Just don't be out where you're bothering and moving those animals. And, you know, um, you can tell when you're out there and you're having an effect because you'll see the animals start to move or act differently. If you're getting too close, you'll know. Just move away. Don't push them around because they're settled in, like you said. They they don't, you know, they they are, their food sources are just, uh, you know, they've uh, they've exhausted a lot of food sources. Now we are a little fortunate. We haven't had tremendous amounts of snow this year, but we could still get a lot of snow. Yeah, we can uh, through the rest of the year. It seems like February and even March we could get a 
good push of snow, even though good heavy wet snow, it's definitely tough on the on the critters right there at that critical moment. So, so yeah, and it's you know over the last ten years, like I said, you could have a guy in every every finger coming off the hill looking looking for sheds. So, so an animal group of animals could get bumped from one group to the next as far as people looking around. So it, it's become more popular, and like I said, everybody will have a fair shot starting on May May first to get out there. And most of those animals have made it through the critical point and are starting to transition back. And uh, most of the sheds have been been dropped uh, for the most part at that point. So everybody can kind of get out and get after it. Well, you're right. And they're going to have access. We're going to see, you know, plant foliage starting to come up and buds and things that they can eat. How, what time of the year do they usually start dropping their um, fawns and calves up there? You know, mostly it's, it's June. Uh, first part, part of June, we'll, we'll see a lot of our elk and deer starting to hit, start, starting to hit the ground. So that's, you know, they've definitely transitioned that month of May. They'll do a lot of transition back towards their their calving and, and fawning areas at that point. Well, and that makes that month of May a great time to be out because the animals are already moving away. They've got more food sources. They're, it's not as critical a time. And you've got some tips, too, and people, you've, you mentioned that if you are out looking for sheds, what are some of the things you'd like people to keep in mind? Yeah, so some things that to be courteous of and be in mind of you know a lot of our public lands being national forest or blm lands have have restrictions on off-road travel so a lot of a lot of guys we need to make sure we we're staying on two tracks or established roads that are out there and not um going off-road doing doing veg damage and, and habitat destruction that type of stuff so i make sure we're staying on roads but um you know a lot of guys that are out on foot they'll they'll work a lot of high points and do a lot of glassing just like you're glassing for elk or or deer during hunting season they'll they'll get on a high point and just do a lot of looking with their eyes and saves you saves you a lot of walking sometimes when you're using your eyes to come up with looking for sheds and at my age it saves me a lot i'll tell you right now anything i can glass but it is it's just courtesy and you know what interaction with the wildlife i've had a couple columns in my denver post column over the last uh, couple weeks on interacting with animals and one one was getting lost and if you get lost how to take care of yourself another one was you know the moose and coyotes and when we do get the fawns and calves and things that people just need to be aware and I think the message, you don't want to send a message, you don't want people out enjoying the outdoors in Colorado. We want them out there. We just want them conscious of how they impact what's going on and to be aware of it and help preserve it for everybody. No, absolutely. I think, I mean, anybody likes to come across an elk shed or a deer shed and, and get to see what made it through the last the last year and what could potentially be out there for the for the next hunting season. So guys like to get out. You know, there's there's a wide variety of it from just families kind of going out for a weekend, getting exercise or getting a spring bug, getting camping and, and whatever. And then there's, you know, there's another aspect that there's a commercial part to it too, that the guys are selling antlers too. So there's a wide gamut of stuff. It's just given, given those animals are pretty and a break through the winter so we can, so we can have a healthy herd come into the next year and um, go from there. Well, I like to find a great big rack and then put it up on my wall. And then when people come in, I say, well, yeah, there's a story behind that, but we don't have time to get into it right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, Mike, thank you so much. Hopefully people will pay attention. Uh, I'm sure the regulations are on the Parks and Wildlife website. Yep, everything's updated on the on the website. And like I said, it's a little bit uh, behind this year just because it just went through. But every subsequent year from now on out, we'll be starting January 1 through April 30th. There'll be a closure on public land for, for collecting of antlers. All right. Thank you, Mike. And hopefully people will take it a little easy here until we get later in the spring, too, until those regulations go into effect. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company's Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire.
Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. It's time now for Terry's Tackle Tip of the Week. All right, it is time for our Tackle Tip of the Week, and I'm in studio with me from Discount Tackle, and also a guide is Austin Parr. And Austin, we're going to talk about the new Snap Jig from Berkeley, and I haven't fished it yet. I've seen it. I'm going to be getting some shortly, but you've actually been out and fished it. Describe people what it's like. Absolutely. So it came out late last fall, and I didn't have a whole lot of time to, to get out and, and fish with it um, in the open water, but man, we had a lot of success when, when we were out there fishing it. So basically, it, it's a jig head that has a fin on the back of it that's similar to a lot of glide baits, like a, a Johnny Darter or some of the other similar ones from other companies, but then it has a jig hook on it that has some nice barbs to hold soft plastics, and then also a little ring on the bottom to add a stinger hook. So in, basically, it's allowing you to fish a soft plastic in place of or in conjunction to uh, some of your other glide baits that have just proven so to be so effective over the last few years. Well, I'll tell you what, the glide baits and the one that started it all, of course, was the jigging raft Definitely. and the Johnny uh, Darter is a new one. There's a number of these out there now. And they they were a well-kept secret among the pros for a long time that a few people on the inside knew it. And then it started becoming public knowledge. Over the last five to ten years, these baits, almost every fisherman has them in his tackle box year-round. They used to be almost, for most fishermen, an ice fishing bait. Yeah, it was designed as an ice fishing bait. But, man, I've been doing a lot of casting with those styles of baits and then vertical jigging in the open water and just having success like we haven't seen on a lot of other styles of, of lures. Now, this, this new snap jig is going to allow us, well, you said you ice fished it with it, so it's going to allow us both in through the ice and open water to take that kind of fishing technique and do it with a soft plastic instead of a real heavy piece of uh, metal like the other glide baits are. So it's going to fish a little differently. How would you approach using it differently than, say, a Johnny Darter or that type of bait? So the one thing that's really nice about it is that they aren't nearly as expensive as some of those other baits. So you can fish it in a little bit more cover, and you don't have to worry about getting it snagged quite as much. But then additionally, if you have fish that are being a little bit shy with biting or holding on to that that heavier bait and you're struggling to, to hook those fish, having that soft plastic on there and fishing them in the same kind of circumstance where you have fish that are generally associated to structure near the bottom and cast them out and snap them back to you and in the heavier sizes they really have a lot of side-to-side -side darting motions and when those fish actually hit it it feels a lot more natural than when they're hitting some of those other uh, lead-based lures now are there do you fish it in pretty much the same places you'd fish a glide bait, or are you fishing it in a more a different variety of places? So I'm doing a lot of the, the very similar places along with some of the, the areas that have a little bit more structure to them and potentially getting snagged a little bit more. But it's my bait when you're trying to get those fish to react to something in particular. So if you're having that early season or maybe that later time of the year when it's really hot and a lot of the bait-type presentations have gone cold, you can break out some of those, those reaction baits, and particularly this snap jig is going to be very good for that but in some of those heavier sizes when it's darting side to side it it really just garners that that bite that that fish isn't necessarily feeding on something but just reacting to that bait slashing away from it well another thing that a lot of people in the past have done with a glide bait is they'll hang like a minnow head on it or something yep. because they want to add a little scent it is a reaction bait but sometimes that'll draw some fish in now you could take a gulp minnow and put it on this and i don't think i don't think i well i hardly ever add bait to my glide baits anyway mm -hmm. but um you could take a uh, gulp minnow which you and i fish a lot absolutely and they give off tremendous amount of scent or the new four inch um the flat nose minnow flat nose uh the 
uh, max scent yep. power bait, uh, and those give off a tremendous amount of scent. Not only do the fish taste it, they'll hang on longer. It feels natural and it's got good taste, but they actually extrude a lot of scent into the water. So you'd get a reaction bait, but you'd also get that scent to draw them in because you're usually not using this as a search bait. You're probably fishing a piece of structure with it. Definitely. You're finding fish. You're finding. You're trying to find them generally associated to that structure. So suspended fish, this doesn't work for quite as much on a cast, potentially on a vertical jig it would. Um, but then the other big advantage to it with these soft plastics is they have a really nice wide variety of colors with these jigs. So you can incorporate a, na- a more natural colored soft bait with that brighter head and do something where you you know it's more of a, a that live bait type presentation when you're fishing those soft plastics. You can add just a little bit of that color but still have that natural, natural profile. Well, I think that um, those glide baits tend to be you almost have to give quick movements. So you can fish them vertically, but if you cast them out, you can't slowly move them very well no. because they're so heavy. They're going to pop and fall, and that's what you're looking for. You Because you've got some different weights on these, you could probably do a variety of presentations. Now, I was talking to Steve Panaz, and he was fishing them in very shallow water where he had been using a wacky worm for smallmouth. He switched back to the wacky worm because he only had about two feet of water. He wasn't getting enough of that darting action because he had enough water, but but he probably had a fairly heavy one on you. Do you think, uh, how do the light ones fish compared to the heavier ones of the snap jigs? So they, they don't dart quite as much because they don't hold as much energy moving through the water column. But one of the big advantages to these baits is that with how that fin is placed, it almost acts as a hybrid stand-up jig. So as you're darting it back and forth in that shallow water, it will still have that side-to-side motion. And as it falls and and, and stops on the bottom, it will actually hold up and have that tail sitting up into the water column a bit rather than some of those glide baits that simply crash into the bottom and and fall on their sides. And you know, when I used to fish a lot of jigs, even in warm water, I used to, a lot when I was fishing tournaments, because I fished both bass and walleye tournaments, is a lot of times my I'd use a stand-up head jig to elevate that bait as I was popping it or moving it so that it sat there and had a little action to the tail and Definitely. quivered and made it real easy for that fish to get it. This is going to be a natural for that. You almost It'll almost always be standing up like that. Absolutely, and it might even be better than some of these stand-up jigs just for the fact of that, that really nice wide triangular base. And it's going to dart back and forth. And, and I think it's going to be a very versatile bait, particularly as we're going to see the into the summertime period where we've been fishing so many of the other glide baits on now, the market. Now, we talked about the gulp minnow or the flat nose minnow. What else are you tipping them with? Twitch tail minnows have been one of my favorites. So the gulp minnow definitely works well, but because it is so soft, it tends to fall apart a little bit after you have fish tear it up. Whereas that twitch tail minnow lasts a little bit longer and it still does carry that scent. But in a situation with this darting motion, it's a very big reaction strike. So although that gulp certainly helps to add a lot of extra scent, I find that the scent doesn't quite matter as much as if I would just have it on a normal lead head jig. So those twitch tail minnows come in a nice wide variety of different colors, nice bright colors, even some of the natural colors and, and a lot of stuff in between as well. And it adds some nice flash and still a nice, uh, good, solid texture that holds on that jig head really well. How about putting a crawfish on them for smallmouth? Could maybe wind up doing that as well, you know, doing something, you know, in, in the form of, of a little creature bait or something. But the biggest thing that I found is you have to have something that, that comes cleanly through the water column. You don't want any kind of paddle tail or curly tail type motion because it really impedes that darting motion. All side right. That side. makes sense. Yeah. Now, what, what you sell these at your store? Definitely. And that's discount tackle. What do they sell for? What do they retail for? So we have those at $5.99 for a two pack and then also have all of the uh, small soft plastics to go along with them. The new flat nose minnow, plenty of goat minnow 
know, options along with those twitch tails. Now, what would you, uh, what kind of, you'd use, a, I'm sure, a spinning rod and reel. Definitely. What, what would your setup be for this, and what line would you use? Typically, you know, we, we mentioned this a little bit uh, when we were talking about the, the one rod, 10 lure type presentation, but a 6 foot 8 inch medium power extra fast rod is my favorite size to, to utilize with this. It incorporates that nice soft tip with a lot of backbone for a good hook set, but then super lines, in my opinion, are, are crucial. So something like a nanofill or, or that new Fireline um, 8 carrier braid, I think is going to be a, a really good choice this year, but then tipping those with a fluorocarbon leader um, somewhere around the, the 10 pound test range on my main line and then an 8 or a 10 pound test fluorocarbon I think is going to wind up being really good. And the nice thing about a super line on a presentation like this is when you do snap it, if you'll Bring your rod tip back. You create some slack, which Absolutely. really gives you that walking the dog motion. I find the slack is crucial. So if you're fishing your, your glide bait or your jigging wrap or this bait right here, popping that bait on slack line is absolutely critical. And then getting your you know your your tension back as you're going to be popping that again to feel that bite that's on the slack line is is crucial and all of those things are, are the best with superline monofilament and fluorocarbon really do impede a presentation like this right and and I'll just once again what we mean by snapping it is you you give it a sharp twitch and then you immediately put your rod tip back towards the bait and this is true of a lot of uh, jerk baits of these kind of baits anything where you're doing a walk the dog kind of motion Definitely. a surface bait Throwing that slack back allows the nose of that bait to go sideways. Yeah, and, and as a guide, I find that, that that is the most critical thing with baits like this. If you have clients, even side by side, one person's putting slack line in the in the bait and the other person is is trying to keep that line too tight, One the, the slack line presentation will outperform the other one 10 to 1. That's our Tackle Talk for today. Thank you, Austin, for sharing that with us. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer.